The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another Tech Tech Plus live stream. I'm thrilled to be joined by Matt Balansway. Did I say that right? That was pretty good. <laughs> okay, good enough. Uh, Genesis Trading's co-head of trading and lending. Matt, it's great to have you with us today. You're coming to us from New York, right? I am, yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Deirdre. It's a pleasure to be on the show. And yeah, I'm coming to you live from, from Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn, New York. There we have it. Um, so this discussion today is going to be a neutral one. We're not going to take big positions. We're going to talk about the bull case and the bear case for stable coins, which can be a very controversial topic. And to be very clear at the start, Genesis does not, you do not have a position on Tether or any other stable coins. You guys simply execute a trade. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So Genesis is one of the largest institutional trading firms and market makers in crypto. And we're not in the business of taking a view on these assets, right? Whether it's really Bitcoin, ETH, or any stablecoin for that matter. So we're simply, you know, playing the role of liquidity provider in this in this instance. And we're facing off against, you know, traditional institutions that want to express a view and then other crypto native institutions that kind of can take the other side. Right. And the reason we're talking to you today was there was this Wall Street Journal um, article that took a look at more short selling interest in stablecoins. First, Matt, you know, is that because you guys have seen more interest? I know that you have in the past and you've said that um, investors have backed away from that trade, but you've seen more interest in the last few weeks. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, we, we've seen a fair amount of institutional interest in the short tether trade for a few different reasons. But yeah, you know, to allude to your point, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal kind of speaking to that the other day. And, you know, I think there's just a lot of buzz in the market around this trade because it can be so polarizing. And there's yeah. so many different kind of viewpoints and opinions out there um, around, you know, is it a good yeah. trade? Is it a meaningless trade? And, um, you know, that, that being said that we have seen a lot of kind of new institutional multi-billion dollar hedge funds actually start looking to put this on which yeah. is, you know, interesting just to see, obviously being in, in the crypto space for the last five years, you know, that there's so much institutional demand for a particular trade. Uh, and if nothing else, it could be kind of the gateway to just have more attention from the institutions on the space generally. Right. And we're going to get into the reasons of why people may be shorting stablecoins. I want to say at the beginning, too, because I know that this is a sensitive topic. Um, I'm just a journalist. I don't have a position either. So I sort of ask the questions. Um, and so I think we're in line with that, uh, Matt, although it is interesting to hear from the Tether execs themselves from people on both sides of the trade. We invite, by the way, the Tether executives to come back and chat with me anytime. Um, first, let me ask you, how do you like how do the mechanics work? How do you short a stable coin? Yeah, so you can short a stable coin in a few different ways. And apologize if you hear any loud noise in the back. There's some construction going on outside. But basically, you can do it by taking a borrow and actually selling that borrowed asset through Genesis's OTC desk. And we can basically put that trade on in meaningful size, anywhere from you know, $10 million out to really a billion dollars. So you're, you're literally borrowing the Tether asset from Genesis and then simultaneously selling that through our OTC desk to generate kind of dollar proceeds. So that's one way to do it. And then the other way is kind of through derivative products where you can actually sell a forward or future 
and basically take the same view, but put up kind of less capital to do it. And then lastly would be to do it through like buying basically put options where you're basically saying, I want the right to sell Tether at a certain strike price, whether that's 90 cents, 75 cents, 50 cents, and so on, right? So all in the, you know, the interest expense to kind of put that trade on and express that view is around, call it seven to 8% annualized. Right. So it's actually not that different the way that you would short another asset in traditional finance. Um, but yeah, Matt, exactly let's, right. at the root of this, and especially for those maybe in our audience who <laughs> don't understand, this is a very good question. Why would you short something that is supposed to be stable, pegged one-to-one -to, -one to the US dollar? That <laughs> first initial premise on the surface doesn't make any sense. So tell us. Yep. Yeah, happy to, happy to get into it. Um, so basically, like the mechanics here are that for every Tether that's in circulation, and there's about 83 billion of them in circulation today, that's the market cap of Tether, there are reserves kind of backing that backing that pool, right? And so for any time you create Tether, there's basically cash and cash equivalents held in the treasury to back you know, the existing Tether in the market. The reason that there, there are people that are interested in kind of taking a bearish view on it. Um, we're basically, uh, the, the, the bear case is that those reserves are not just cash, right? And that there's a kind of different mix of things that underlies the reserve, including things like money markets, which might be really safe, commercial paper, which are really just kind of unsecured short-term loans to various creditors, but there's no real transparency around who those loans are made to and where in the world they are and who are the counterparties. And so, when you kind of think back to the Evergrande story that came out, um, you know, a, a major kind of Asia developer defaulting on a lot of its loans, that's really what started the speculation of, well, where are the reserves of Tether and which counterparties are, are actually holding the debt? And then basically, if you get a market that starts to get bearish and they're selling pressure on Tether, and then there's the question of, well, is Tether going to be really liquid enough to actually be able to support a bunch of redemptions? Mm -hmm then you know there starts to become the question maybe there's going to be a lot more selling pressure on the asset and it starts to depeg down from a dollar you know to 99 cents to 98 cents where usually then you'll see the other side of the market kind of arbitrage that out and basically start buying at 98 or 99 but if there's really this like overarching question around the liquidity and solvency of the reserve then you know there might not be those backstop bidders in in, in a typical market and that's where you kind of get then this snowball cascading effect of an asset that should be worth a dollar, but it actually starts trading down lower to some other value. And obviously once it depegs, then all confidence becomes lost in that treasury. So that's really like the bear case view. And the reason that it's interesting is because, you know, one, it's really like risk nothing to make hundred percent, right? You're only risking the borrow cost on the trade, which is about seven, eight percent and your opportunity cost of capital. Like what else could you, you know, do with the money that you'd use to support this trade? So. That's like, you know, the, the why it's attractive. Um, and then I also think that there's just kind of some sort of like, almost like this like romanticism around like really nailing a short trade in a market <laughs> that is otherwise super bullish and high growth. And so, you know, that's obviously been popularized by movies like The Big Short. So I think there's just like overarching like, you know, maybe this is a great way to kind of hit it big in a market that, you know, is, is really, you know, in high growth mode and will kind of take the, the counterintuitive view. Um, and then there's others that might just want to actually almost view it as a way to kind of buy insurance on crypto, right? Mm -hmm. Like if things were to really go sour, this, this trade would pay off in, in, in a, you know, a big kind of market meltdown like that um, and because maybe they are long-term bullish, right? So I think those are kind of the two 
you know, reasons why people are actually interested in, in this kind of short. Matt, let me say that was a great explanation of something that is very, very complicated. I don't blame you for needing to take a sip of water after that. <laughs> you did a great job. But if I was to start, kind of boil it down, um, one major issue is transparency you talked about. We know that it's not one-to-one -one backed by US dollar. It has things like commercial paper. We don't know where that commercial paper has come from. Tether has not told us. There's a fear that some of that could lie in very risky commercial paper, like property developers like Evergrande in China. Um, so that is sort of where the bears take issue with. But this is sort of, they're betting on a big liquidation event, right? Or like a black swan, as some people have called it in their tether market, like a lot of redemptions all at once, basically a run on tether. How likely is that to happen, especially as it becomes now this $80 billion plus market cap kind of behemoth that is so important and plays a big role in the crypto ecosystem? Does that make it sort of more likely or less likely that something like that could happen, a run that is? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And again, apologies if you hear kind of drilling in the background. Um, oh, and sorry, but, Matt, one second. I also want to say the chat now is working on our YouTube stream. So for those that are watching, please do write in with your questions or comments. Go ahead, Matt. Cool. Yeah. So, so no, I think your question about like the bigger, you know, Tether gets as a part of the market you know, is that is that basically a bigger risk or is it like actually help for, for liquidity? Yeah. And I think you just have to look historically, right? We've been through major drawdowns in our market. We've seen a ton of selling pressure. And even when there was news around the New York Attorney General, you know, suing Tether, um, you know, we start to see a DPEG, but then ultimately there was a, a series of buyers that, that bid it back up to a dollar. So like even in the worst kind of market where there was a massive drawdown of, you know, 30% intra, intraday and 50% intraweek moves, where there's bearish headlines around Tether specifically, we still saw a backstop bid. And, and those tend to be like, you know, the crypto native firms, the early adopters, a lot of the trading firms overseas in Asia that, you know, fully believe in, in, in Tether to kind of meet its liabilities and stay solvent. And so they're happy to buy this at, you know, well, 90 Matt, cents. And here, cents. Let, me, let me jump in here. So Tether, in response to that journal article, they said that, listen, we've been stress tested time and time again, we pass with flying colors. Is that what they're referring to? Sort of the value dropping down to 98 cents on the dollar. Is that enough of a stress test? Is that I mean, what they're talking about? I, that is what they're talking about. I think like this market generally has has been stress tested, right? Like crypto is an incredibly volatile asset class. And we've been able, you know, able to kind of weather massive moves and massive drawdowns. And for Tether to kind of stay, you know, at a, at a dollar peg through even those worst times when there's negative press around the solvency, they've obviously been able to kind of, I think, you know, show that they are pretty resilient. So that, that is the other side of the trade. And there's a lot of people out in the market that believe that, that want to capitalize on it, either by buying it at a, at a discount or even by like holding it and lending it out to people that actually do want to right. short, right? So they can earn interest by doing it. So I know, and I want to talk about then who uses Tether versus who uses some of the other stable coins like USDC. And we were talking a little bit about this earlier. You said it's basically the crypto native crowd that uses Tether and more institutions are using USDC because would you say it's more transparent or just, you know, they feel a bit more secure because they've have said that their holdings are cash and US treasuries? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I think if you look at USDC, right, it's founded by Coinbase and Circle and kind of a joint venture. Um, and they're super transparent with where they hold the reserves, right? They're hold at a bank here in the US. Uh, they're both regulated entities, both Circle and Coinbase are both trust companies. And they do a great job of just providing transparency into the reserve. And everybody can basically go one-to-one -one dollars into USDC at the drop of a hat. 
I think for Tether, it's a little different because one, like they're not, you know, the, 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 the reserves aren't really held here in the U.S., and two, the reserves are really made up of a lot of different things where, you know, this might be great for Tether's treasury because they can kind of earn a little bit incremental yeah. yield on the on the dollars, right, backing the Tether. But it's not held, you know, it's not all held in one bank account. So there is a little bit of speculation there that so I think then, people are uneasy about. Which stablecoin, let's say a year from now or five years from now, which is going to be the most popularly traded one as we see crypto go more in mainstream as institutions come in. Do you think that USDC usage is going to actually be greater than that of Tether? It wouldn't surprise me to see these things start to even out. I mean, if you look at the market cap now, Tether is about 83 billion in terms of uh, its market cap. USDC is closer to like 55 billion. And then you have others. That's like a USD. Huge, I mean, USDC has made a lot of ground even in the last year. Versus a ton of ground, a ton of ground. And I, and I mean, I think you have to think about it as the U.S. becomes more and more uh, center for for kind of global trading in digital currencies that U.S. stable coins, you know, and, and those that were created by U.S. companies here will likely kind of continue to take market share. So it would not surprise me to see those mm -hmm. things basically reach parity. And then also we'll see how like some of the more algorithmically pegged stable coins like UST, right. for instance, you know, take market share from the fiat backed stable coins. But I do think it's going to be kind of this like arms race to see which project and which stable coin can really you know take the traction of the market yeah and i know that the tether executives like to say look we're the biggest so that means that we're trusted people want to use us i wonder what they would say now with usdc's rise but they could do things to gain more trust to you know really stick it to these short sellers something as simple as telling people who their chief investment officer is or get an audit, something they've been promising for so long. Why don't they do those things? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And, and obviously you kind of have to ask them, but I think that they're, they are taking steps to kind of show a bit more transparency. I think obviously the market believes it, right? Tether's still trading at a dollar and it's yet to be depegged. Um, and so there is you know, some general confidence, right? And if you even look at how, how the Tether's short is priced, right? Which is really those that want to speculate on its failure, you know it's priced less than a 10% you know, probability, probably something closer to 70%, just based on kind of where the, the annualized interest expense to put that trade on it. So it is very unlikely, but I do think that like, you know, they are taking steps to be a little bit more transparent. If you actually go on the Tether website, there's some really great video tutorials about how it works and where the reserves are held, held and the composition of those reserves. Obviously, you know, the more granular you can kind of get there, the more confidence you're gonna instill in traders, but they are, I think, taking steps to do that. So then why are we seeing, what's behind the recent impetus to short Tether? If you're seeing interest rise in the last few weeks, if yeah, they are I taking think, more steps. I, th I think it goes back to the fact that we're finally seeing a major uptick in institutional participation in the market, right? And so big hedge funds, right, eight to $10 billion AUM plus are thinking about like, what's the right bet to make in the space? What's going to be something that is, doesn't, you know, require me to lock up a lot of capital, um, you know, something that has a really good kind of risk adjusted return. Um, and I think that this is one of those, like, almost like, let me buy some insurance on a failure of the space while also exploring other trading opportunities as well. But there are a lot of adamant, like, you know, kind of bearish firms out there that do kind of want to make some sort of statement and, you know, believe that this is the right trade. If you just look at the risk to return solely, right, it's risk seven, eight percent to make potentially a hundred percent. So just looking at that, it's like, okay, that trade economically makes sense. Um, hmm. And then when you have a counterparty like Genesis that can help facilitate that and make it really capital efficient, I can see why it's an attractive trade for, for kind of folks to at least look at as they start to dabble. But I do think it's correlated to, you know, how many institutions are sta now really starting to stare at, you know, what goes on in our sector and, and how to express their first view. And a lot of them want to come in with a splash.
That's interesting. Um, what could happen outside of Tether that could potentially cause that black swan event? I mean, how much would Bitcoin have to crash by? Is there another token that would, you know, a crash in that price would cause something to happen in the stablecoin? Like, how is this all connected? What are some of the other risk factors out there? Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, just ultimately stems back to, to how speculative and how volatile the asset class is. It's come a long way. And obviously, Bitcoin's now stabilized here above 40,000 for, for quite some time. Um, but ultimately, like our market is prone to major spikes in price. And with that, right, in a, in a highly levered market, which Bitcoin and, and crypto can be at times, there's always room for kind of these black swan events where you see a cascading deleveraging of the entire system. And that's when the system could be at its most fragile. And, you know, we saw that back in March of 2020, right? Right at the onset of COVID where Bitcoin fell almost 70% from highs and um, ultimately rebounded to have one of the most historic runs of any asset class of all time. Um, but, but it is a fragile ecosystem. I do think that we've come a long way since then. And there's a lot more liquidity in the ecosystem. There's futures exchanges, there's, you know, perpetual swaps, there's mm -hmm. a borrow lend, you know, market now that there's just so much more balance sheet and capital to kind of go around, where we are actually less prone to these like cataclysmic events. So I do think it's going to be a lot less likely for there to be some black swan event. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I it's not it's not something that I think is is, is probable. I love this comment on YouTube. Someone says stable coins are boring and on the surface, they are so boring because they're pegged one-to-one. -one, but when you get under the surface, as we have been doing, you find, I, I don't know, I find it fascinating. Um, Matt, I wanna make sure we do talk about the other side of this because this isn't the first time someone has tried to short Tether. Um, you have said that your initial clients that have tried to do this have actually exited the trade as it remains stable. Yeah, so the, the other side of this trade are everybody like that that basically believes the trade just doesn't make sense like there's so many other opportunities trading crypto markets where like the alpha can be a lot higher where it's not worth the time or energy thinking about a potential collapse in, in the treasury and generally right you have like traditional financial firms that might want to take that bearish view and short tether but the long side really comes from like those that have been trading in this ecosystem for you know four or five years that are comfortable with stablecoin risk and they're comfortable holding tether and they probably have honestly redeemed you know billions of dollars worth of tether into dollars and back and forth over the years yeah. so they might even have you know personal connections to the, the tether treasury right so there's a level of comfort there amongst personal kind of connections the to the tether treasury or to to the the folks that started it you know to the early to the early founders of bitfinex i think there's a lot of like early crypto trust that um you know i think get gets comfortable with with certain assets think does that mean that they know they have a better view of what the reserves are? I think it, it's just really just track record, right? Like they've been trading the market for four to five years. They've used the product a million times and they've held tether on their balance sheet for the last yeah. five years. And so they're just like comfortable trading it. Like that's, that's really what it boils down to and enough so that they're willing to basically take the other side and, and earn interest. Right? So if someone's willing to pay you seven, eight yeah. percent to borrow your asset, then you're going to be earning seven to eight percent, and they're willing to basically collect that premium all day, whether it's by lending out tether to short sellers or by you know selling the puts that others are buying to earn the premium. Um, so that's like how Genesis kind of sits right in the middle, and we can kind of see you know what the institutional side is doing, what the crypto native side is doing, and we can help yeah. facilitate basically the marriage of these two different you know standpoints, so that those that are that are you know long term bullish can can get paid on it, and those that are long term bearish need to obviously cop you know pay pay the you know those that are that are bullish. 
you know, when I first started looking into Tether, Matt, you know, along the same lines, I asked this question, who actually wants it audited? If it's crypto native users that are trading Tether, they don't really care about that audit, right? They just want to be able to use it, get in and out of it fairly quickly. But that question of the audit, like, why does Tether even care about saying then that they're going to be audited? Why say that if they're not going to do it? Yeah, I think the mindset there is like, Tether obviously wants to remain as the dominant stablecoin in, in circulation, right? They're, they, to this day, if you go look at the top exchanges by volume and the top asset pairs that support the liquidity on Bitcoin, it's all Tether, the top three are Tether Bitcoin markets, and it's on some of the Asian exchanges like Binance, OKX, and, and Huobi. So it, it still is the major source of liquidity for Bitcoin, and they want to stay that way. And they, they do understand that you know, there is kind of this institutionalization happening in crypto. And so to stay at the top, they need to kind of fortify their moat. They need to try and be as transparent as they can. They need to regain the confidence of, you know, the trade, the kind of new institutional trading ecosystem so that they can continue to kind of use the asset. So I think there's just a shift in mentality there. Is pressure building them then for them to be more transparent? I mean, there's no article on short sellers of USDC. You tell me if you've had any interest. And we also talked about how the market cap of Circle is gaining at a much greater pace than Tether over the last year and especially over the last few months, right? Yeah, I think I think that's all the data. So are they losing their dominance? They are. I mean, if you look at, yeah, exactly. If you just look at relative market share between USDC and USDT, you know, you'll see one that's, that's you know, they're both are growing, but you'll see one that's growing at a faster rate. And so, you know, they don't, they don't need to kind of hear the, the qualitative commentary. They can just see it in the data and obviously like for them to stay you know, super dominant, then they need to take, kind of take steps to like really attract the confidence of the institutional trader, which is going to be basically the new paradigm in, in crypto markets. And it's starting to become that already. Right. Wow. That, that's fascinating. Um, we are way over our time, but I'm going to keep going because I've got this question that I want to run by you, especially someone in the middle um, who doesn't have, you know, any skin in the game. Tether responded to um, the short sellers by saying that short sellers seem to be involved in a clever scheme to raise capital from those less knowledgeable by leveraging on disinformation with the end goal of collecting a management fee. Can you explain that? What does that mean? Basically what they're what they're claiming is that you have probably proactive hedge funds that are raising capital on this thesis that we're discussing, right? The thesis being there might be some tail risk in the tether reserve becoming insolvent. And they want to put this trade on because it's capital efficient. But they're and pitching that to yeah, their investors. Like you, you they're like probably... they're pitching to their investors. If you give us money, we're going to short tether. Like, yeah, it's basically like almost either an insurance fund, right? So it's like, hey, give us money. We're going to actually make the this alternative bet that will pay off in a collapse of the Bitcoin ecosystem or or the crypto ecosystem, um, or it's it's trying to actually be an alpha fund where, where they're saying that they have some you know, asymmetrical information as to why they believe that this that this reserve is going to collapse. And they're trying to basically raise capital on that notion. Um, you know, I don't have a view on if that if that makes sense or not. Right. It's like, right. yeah, it's 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 based on every investor's appetite. Is that something that they want exposure to? Um, obviously, like being at the center of crypto, there are a lot of attractive opportunities to generate return in the space. Um, so would, would this be the, the trade idea, you know, that you, that you zero in on? You know, it really is investor dependent. OK. Um, and then so what also separates Tether from Circle is this other investments category that Tether has, which includes digital tokens. USDC, as we mentioned, only holds cash and short term government securities. Um, does Tether eventually do away with this group, the other investments? It just seems, you know, 
something easy that they could do to win more trust. Why do they have this? And if they're trying to gain more credibility, more trust, is that something they could do? Yeah, it, it, it really depends on what, what that other investment bucket looks like. And it's hard to say. It's a small, it's a really small percentage of their overall reserve. It's 5%. Although I guess thinking about 5% on, you know, 83 billion, it actually is a, a fair, a fair amount of exposure. Um, but again, it's like, you know, we don't, we don't quite know what that exposure is. Uh, and it goes kind of back to the original point of that, that is kind of like, it's that lack of transparency that I think, you know, gives some investors that worry and, and kind of sparks the conversation around, well, what actually is underlying it? But again, this is yeah. Tether's prerogative to deploy their treasury in the way that they see fit yeah. and kind of man manage their own exposure uh, and liquidity and solvency. True. Um, and then Tether also says that the reserve fund assets exceed liabilities. Why? Why would it hold more than it needs to? Um, I'd have to unpack that a little bit. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I mean, that could have just been like, value accrual on some of their investments that I basically see. are now outweighing the liability side of the tokens that they basically owe for those that need to redeem. So it's almost like a way of saying, you know, we've actually generated value on our on our reserve assets enough to generate like actual shareholder equity in, in the reserve. Okay. And then finally, Matt, kind of like a really much broader question. If we see central bank stablecoins, central bank digital currencies, what does that do to the whole stablecoin industry? I feel like they would have very different use cases and perhaps a US or a central bank digital currency seems far off, but kind of go down that path. What would happen to the whole space? I think it'd be a really interesting development. And I think that this is kind of where, you know, the it's almost a philosophical conversation of like, what should <laughs> yeah, a stablecoin be, right? Should it be a fiat dollar backed stablecoin? that is replicable. Obviously, it's going to get harder for central banks to replicate the growth that there already is in, in USDC and, and even USDT. Um, but then it, it really comes down to this philosophical question of, well, should there even be a centralized stable coin to begin with? Or should there be kind of this decentralized mm -hmm. stable asset that actually is, is backed by you know, a variety of different assets, whether it's Bitcoin or Luna, for instance, if you're looking at UST? and have kind of a more algorithmic way of solidifying the value of that um, yeah. stablecoin asset without just holding dollars in reserve. So I do think that that's kind of the problem that a lot of these algorithmic stablecoin um, you know, companies are trying to basically solve for is saying, okay, great, we're, you know, this is crypto, this is decentralized, let's create a stablecoin that's also decentralized so that there is no reliance on you know, fiat currencies, centralized intermediaries and banks, and we can basically run our own kind of autonomous and decentralized uh, economy. So I think that's going to be an interesting kind of, um, you know, evolution over the next, call it, you know, two to three years to yeah. see, you know, it, does a central bank actually try and do something similar? And where, where are algorithmic stable points on the map at that point? How much dominance do they have relative to some of the other players out there? Yeah, you raised a lot of interesting points that I'm sure we could spend another hour talking about just on that last bit. Um, Matt, we got to call it now, uh, as always, with these Tech Check Plus live streams, we go way longer because there's such fascinating discussions that we can't necessarily have on linear TV. Um, Matt, thank you so much. We hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Deirdre. It was a pleasure, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you again. Take care. En enjoy your day. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.